Yes, hello folks, welcome to a special episode of Beyond the Pitch. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, and delighted to be joined with my friend Tony Evans. I had Tony on about two months ago uh, on a podcast that uh, was very well received, so it's great to have Tony back. I want to especially talk to Tony about the Liverpool takeover and what's going to happen there and get his views on that. First of all, Tony, how you doing, mate? Not so bad at all, Phil, how are you? Always. Uh, all good, mate, all good. Can't complain in your old neck of the woods outside. You, you were, of course... Uh, Oh, and uh, uh, Orange County native for a while, weren't you, mate? Well, I certainly was. Lived in Irvine. So, um, yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, it's, uh, it was a nice place to live. I'll bet it's like spread out. I bet the urban sprawl's gone mad there. It was still relatively lo- rural when I was there 30 years ago. Massively gentrified now. Gentrification of it is... Uh, it's... Honestly, it's so expensive to live in, in Irvine now. Like, it, it, you'd need to be... I think the median income or household income is like two hundred and twenty grand. So uh, it's it's been gentrified. Yeah. Uh, I heard it was actually named after a Scottish guy. That uh, makes sense. Yeah, you know, but um, uh, you know that's a very Scottish name, so mm. it wouldn't surprise me. Before we get into this, I was listening to an interview. I was thinking about you. Um, I was listening to an interview for Fiona Hill, who was uh, Trump's. Uh, foreign advisor to Russia and Obama and everything else. But um, she was from Durham and her father was a minor. And actually it was the minors who paid for her education. She went to Russia, she was a Russian expert. But one of the things that she talks about in there was the cultural and social divide between the North and South of England. Um, Really, really interesting interview. I had to send it to you, mate, because she was a fascinating lady uh, explaining what was going on in Russia and, of course, some of the social uh, and economic divides in England and around the world. I have to say, that'd be very interesting, that, yeah. Yeah, she she was brilliant. She was really, really brilliant, actually, because she talks about Liverpool in there, too. Um, I want to talk to you about your beloved football club, of course, because. it's, uh, it was broke last week, David Onstein broke last week, or possibly someone else, apologies if I've attributed that to the wrong person, that Liverpool are soliciting offers uh, for potential sale or partial investment. I'll ask you about both. First of all, did this come as a surprise to you, Tony? No, no. John Henry uh, first mentioned it to me back in 2015. He talked about selling the club. He talked about... Fenway Sports Group not being in there for the long haul. What he said was one of the things is he didn't really want if you know so if if he died he didn't want his estate tied up in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. So he said we will sell. He said we're in no worry to sell. We've um, we'll wait till the right price and we'll wait till the right people come along. But we will sell at some point. So um, so it didn't surprise me in that sense. I've been kind of waiting for it to happen. Uh, now, for it to happen at a time like this, when clearly the world's in a difficult economic situation, and the um, you know there, there were very very few buyers around. There were very few buyers back in 2015, mm-hmm. when bizarrely you probably could have picked up the club for 750 million, but now they're talking somewhere north of 3.3.2 billion, um, and the potential buyers there. Frankly, so the shiver of fear down me. Yes, Bye. I'm not going to get to that. I mean, just to give you, you bring up an important point there because um, they picked up the club for 700 something million, which was similar to what the Glazers picked up United for. And now that's the number being floated for partial investment required to invest in infrastructure, which gives you an idea of just 
how things have changed financially and what it takes to own a football club. When you look at potential buyers, Tony, you have to you have to look at the landscape and say realistically within a, within five years, it's a reasonable extrapolation to say that City and Newcastle are going to contest the title. Um, and for anyone to compete with that, you're going to have to have oil-type states' money. I know Liverpool generated plenty of money. They generated $600 million last year. Um, but this is no longer a, a millionaire's club. This is a billionaire's club. And if you're going to buy Liverpool, sure, do, do you look at that and think it's not just about what it's worth, it's about what we're going to have to spend to compete? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things is, I don't think people have grasped what an existential threat the football city are. No, no. You know, they really are. Uh-huh. And it, it's... If you've got limitless money and the ruling authorities can't keep a cap on it, then you're in deep, deep trouble as a game. Mm-hmm. I spoke to someone in City oh, a few years ago and I said to him, oh, you know, City will be the first team to win the title five years in a row. And they said to me, we're building a club to win it 10 years in a row. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely scary. And yeah. it's not just the money. The fact is they've got a brilliant organisation over there. You know, say what you like about Manchester City. They've got top-class people in the right positions and they are um and you know and it shows and they, they can afford the best players in the world the best managers they've got the best executives in football and that, that combination makes them you know it's obviously brilliant for city fans yes. but i wonder whether even city fans will look at it in another five years or so and go well, i don't know about this it's, i was going to um, say I, there has to be some some level of sport and merit about it to me yeah. Um, I actually remember at times when United were at their peak, um, winning titles, and there was a part of me that was thinking, I don't want to say it's getting boring, but I'm getting a bit used to this. And you need to lose in sport. You need to have the uncertainty factor. Otherwise, we all, you know, what's the point? And when yeah. you have City, I know they lost at the weekend, but they're so dominant where it's the, the uncertainty of the results or it becomes a bit boring. And, and I just feel like when you're a fan, I mean, I don't want to, obviously I am a United fan, but what happened at City could have happened at Leighton Orient if they were bought by the same people, mm. right? And so it's almost like Manchester City died when they got bought because what they are now resembles nothing about what, and I'm not, I'm not being bitter, you know, if, 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 except that uh, United would be the same way if it happened to them. But I, I just sense that they won the league and they couldn't sell out their first game after that. And you're going. Yeah, and, and it's difficult because you don't want to be too critical of City fans because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't course. support the owner. You know, you support 100%. the club. Well, it was their club before, you know, um, Abu Dhabi come along. Yep. And why shouldn't they remain? I do resent those who became slavish advocates of yes. you know, the, the Emirates and will support anything they, they, they do. But, you know, it, it does it presents a difficult problem. And it'll, if, if Liverpool get taken over by a Gulf state, which I think is at least the less likely scenario, but if they do, then a lot of Liverpool fans are going to be doing massive U-turns and trying to justify... Where of course, that's human nature. You know, United fans would be the same way. Of course. But another, a, a large group of other Liverpool fans are going to be saying, can we continue with this? Is mm. this what it means? So 
I did a piece last week and I said this could be the end of what I call the socialist delusion. You know, the part of Liverpool self Liverpool fans self identity that it's a socialist club. At least for them it is. It mightn't be for the owners. And this might be the end of it even before we get to the sale. You know, with the recognition that we can't delude ourselves what the football club is anymore. It's no longer a flag bearer for the community. Yeah. It's no longer a representative representative of local people. It's become something very, very different. And I think we've we've crossed that point already. But yeah, it, it's 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 gonna be very, very awkward. And those who who only wanna see clubs win things and compete. Um, I, I mean, that disturbs me a little bit. If football was just about the match, if going the match was about the match and what happens on the pitch, I think most of us would have stopped going long yeah. ago. The problem is we've got a whole swathe of people who are, um, who, who are um, who, who consume their football through television. You know, it's, um, mm-hmm. excuse me, I've just got a mosquito, would you believe, on my screen. <laughs> in, in, in damp, wet London. Very teleported from here. <laughs> what, what a twist. There's, there it is. The mossy's dead. So you know what? N- not only can I do podcasts, but I can kill things. That's their Miyagi. You're a ma- manslaughter there. He slaughtered yeah. the mosquito. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's going to present a real problem for not just the, the league going forward, but you know, for and what it's going to herald really this takeover is the Super League. The Super League's coming; it's not gone away. Mm-hmm. And instead, when it happened a couple of years ago, instead of football as a whole saying, "Okay, this clearly is an important issue, and we're reaching a watershed," then let's think about the way forward in the future. No one's done anything, and you've got people who are just they spend all the time moaning about the Super League clubs when actually, for example. But um, I would, again, you don't want to criticise a set of fans, but Everton fans, you know, uh, will side with City over Liverpool. Mm-hmm. They kind of don't get that City are a bigger threat than them than they are to Liverpool. Liverpool will be part of the of the elite group. Elite are using inverted commas that go and and participate in the Super League. Everton are unlikely to be in there. And they're going to be left behind. So while you're cheering on City people, you might want to think about what it might do to you and your club. Listen, I have had this argument time and time again where where our collective interest should be, where we, we should align our collective interest, put our tribalism aside and realise that whatever precedent set is set at other clubs will also visit yours. And so whenever Hicks and Gillette, for example... We're, we're, we're owning, they own Liverpool. I have no love for the football club, but I completely sympathise and empathise with Liverpool fans and their sentiments towards these people. And remember, if they drag football to a new bottom and get away with it, then someone else is going to do it too. And so yeah. whatever precedent gets set at your club by bad owners, if they get away with that, it's just setting a new normal for other owners to do that. And so I feel that football fans do have a powerful collective voice. And I agree with you that um, the Super League will, will, will revisit us in a different format for exactly the same incentives, for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say it's open there, Tony, and I, I, I've thought about this quite a bit. Um, when you look at the one of the biggest contrasts between American and 
British sporting culture, if you like, or European sporting culture, even for the most part the world. Football clubs are anchored to their communities. They are representative yeah. of their communities. Hence the reason why we can't up a franchise and move it to another city, right? Because it just doesn't work. And if fans give that up, where they no longer see it as uh, as a community club, even though in every sense of the word it's not anymore, I, f- I worry about where that's going to go. And I, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to single out bad American owners. There's bad owners from, it doesn't matter where you're mm. from. But there's no doubt that their sport and culture and, and sport and norms are completely different to ours. I mean, you'll know this. Americans are utterly bemused at our revulsion and towards people taking money out of our football clubs and using them as, as, as a business. They, well, of course, that's what they're going to do. That's what business people do. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, don't, they, they think it's odd. I mean, you'll see this on Twitter. When I criticize the Glazers, my responses at night are very different to the responses during the day because at night I'm getting an American audience. And, yeah. and so you have to, I look at that and then go on, if football fans give up the uh, football clubs being anchors of their community, and, and as we're seeing with this World Cup, nothing's secret in football anymore anyway, I, I think that would be another death knell for what is sacred to you and me, and maybe that's what's going to happen anyway. Yeah, and one of the things that, you know, the increasing presence of American owners in the Premier League gives you an indication of the way things are going. They really don't want relegation. They don't really don't want to be challenged. I mean, you know, it's, um, uh, John Emery said to me uh, when I first met him in 2012, um, Wigan were in the Premier League. And he said to me, well, you know, who wants to see Liverpool play Wigan? Mm-hmm. You know, to them, that's just, you know, it's almost like it's pointless. What they want is the big clubs playing each other and they want to see, they want a close circuit and they want the big money games that will get a global audience. Mm-hmm. And you can see why. I mean, Bowley coming into to Chelsea, he's not coming into Chelsea to, you know, to foster a, a you know, a, a, a rivalry with Fulham. You know, it's like, you know, right. he's thinking Barcelona, Real Madrid and, 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 and teams like that. You know, him wanting Ronaldo in the summer and Tuchel saying no is almost like a, um, you know, it's like a little vignette of the way football's going. You know, it's, um, you know, old school, new school and the new school. You know, history never wins. You know, the future always wins one way or another. Um, but when the future is backed by money, well, you know, you can well, see where it's heading. I'm looking at a super late, honey, and we're talking about these fantastic clubs that have got these great histories and been successful in their own right in their own domestic leagues. But someone has to finish bottom of that super league. And what does that do for someone's brand and reputation finishing bottom of a super league? You know, maybe you're not finishing bottom of the Premier League either, or La Liga or, or Serie A or whatever, but in a league comprised of 15, 16 elite clubs, you know, you're no longer going to be seen as, you know, as someone synonymous with success. And look, this brings me back to the question with the Liverpool owners and any potential owners of any football club now today have to ask themselves, and I'm sure FSG have asked themselves this question, can we be a commercial success with Liverpool not winning trophies every year? Because if you aren't asking that question as owners, and I'm sure the Glazers have had to do this too, the probability that they're going to catch someone like a Newcastle or Man City, even if you match their spending, they they have a, they, they can afford to get it wrong. Liverpool United, yeah. those clubs can't, right? When 
the the question for someone is can we make these for can we continue to have this club be successful commercially without winning trophies and, and I don't know maybe you can do it to a certain extent but I don't know no I don't think you can but you know one of the interesting things was I was talking to someone at Liverpool about Nunez um, buying in and they said you know they knew Haaland was a ready-made player they knew he could fit mm-hmm. in right away and he'd score goals he's the finished the, the, you know the finished article and he's got class about him they said they knew Nunez wasn't but they couldn't afford Haaland, they couldn't afford his wages, they couldn't right. afford anything about him. So they had to take a player that they had to mould. And he said to me, this was a few weeks ago, he said, um, he said, you know, we know there'll be growing pains. We think he can get there. We think we can teach him and develop him and he'll become the player we want him to be. Mm-hmm. But we can't go out and buy the, the, the absolute gold standards of footballers and put them straight in our team. And when you think that probably... You know, United are reaching the point where they struggle to do that. When you think, you, you know, United led the led the Premier League, uh, arguably Europe, in merchandising and developing the, you know, we hate the word, the brands, but they were far ahead. One of the things about the dominance in the 90s and to a lesser extent, but still the 2000s, was they had the financial firepower that they built up through their own marketing and their own yes. support, as well as Ferguson. So you get the best manager. Mm-hmm. You get the be- the biggest fan base. That you win. That link's being broken. City can have the best manager. Yeah. They can have the biggest war chest. They don't need the biggest fan base to do that. At least not in the short term. And by the time they become absolutely dominant in England, and 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 trust me, before long, when they're dominant, they win another four, say titles in a row. People will be screaming blue murder for a, uh, a Super League. The same people who, who didn't want it. But by that time, you know, they'll have built a, a, a global fan base of sorts. And whether it'll be one that stays, because it doesn't get the roots, you know, that Liverpool and United and even City's traditional fan base have, because it was rooted in community and locality. They won't have the roots, but it'll be, it'll be different. But it'll, then that'll propel them even further. And the, the only way, really, we can get a control over the the petrol clubs really is if they end up in a close circuit super league where everyone agrees to strict rules you know like the nfl the spends and rules and that mm-hmm. people bend them but they can't bend them too far and i think that's you know at the forefront of the minds of the american owners and i have no confidence by the way that those rules would be respectfully upheld i mean look City agreed to FFP rules and and uh, ignored them completely. Um, there's been investigations into Premier League clubs. I know there's one done on Fulham, for example, about uh, the legitimacy of certain sponsors. And as soon as the investigation was done, the sponsor disappeared off their website. Uh, everything else, we know that uh, there's a lot of financial doping that goes on. Um, and and again, when we talk about precedent. Where did the precedent come from that we can create fake sponsors financially dope to get around FFP? Mm. You know, this is why this is a, a major, major problem. Uh, what is the right owners for Liverpool? Um, <laughs> you know, it'd be trite to say the fans because mm. it's never going to happen. Right. I don't think there is the right owners. I think we're down to a choice of a um, a a. a, a a golf-affiliated group 
So it mightn't be a, a country, but it'll be a proxy arm of one of them, you know, a sheikh or, or something, or an American conglomerate that's looking at. And some of these, you know, it, whichever way you look, it's, you know, the devil in the deep blue sea here. Because I, I was, during one of the attempts to buy Liverpool by um, by, by uh, various people, I was in the office of someone, and I saw one of the, um, the paperwork they had from a venture capitalist company that, and, that outlined the profits they would require if they you know, contributed to the takeover of Liverpool. They wanted 35% per annum, 35%. So, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to compete like that. I think the Americans would take a, uh, like Chelsea, Boldly at Chelsea, I think they'd take a longer term of view. They wouldn't want it immediately. This was a, a, a European-based company. They wouldn't want it immediately. But what they'd look and they'd see in the future, the the riches that could come from a Super League, and then you could, if there was a relatively strict-ish salary cap, spending cap, then they'd be in a position to take a, a healthy profit out of it, but you know what? There, there is no one going to come along. There's no, there's no boyhood Liverpool fan sitting in the Gulf or in America thinking, you know what? I'm a billionaire. Let's go and buy Anfield. I'll own the cup. I've got the keys to the main stand. There's no one around like that. All there is is dire choices. We might look back at Fenway Sports Group for all a section of Liverpool fans criticised them as being a golden age because they never took any money off the club. Mm-hmm. Um, as it happens, they bought the club for two hundred eleven million uh, pounds, and they'll sell for certainly more than ten times that. You know, probably fifteen times that. And so that you know, they're, they're made out like bandits. Mm-hmm. I'm picking up the club for that price. They wear bandits. If I would have known it was so cheap, I probably would have phoned me back manager and said, "Hey, mate, we <laughs> to extend in that overdraft." Yeah, no doubt. Um, the. I think there's a really important job to be done here by football governance. And we sort of saw them showing some teeth with the Todd Bowley takeover by putting certain clauses um, about what they can take out, um, making sure you don't have a leverage buyout repeat situation. I find it a bit hypocritical whenever I see uh, English FA telling their players they should wear LGBTQ uh, armbands, but yet they'll let theocratic societies, uh, owners, buy football clubs that um, have quite ridiculous, despicable views on uh, the LGBTQ community. And I, I don't understand how, you, I mean, to me, that's performance art. You know, I'm going to make yeah. you wear something, but uh, as soon as those values have a material cost, we're not really going to exercise them. Uh, or, uh, so I, I, you know, I look at that and I'm thinking, I would like to believe that with I know it should, it, it, there should be equivalence with everyone, but a, with a prized asset like Liverpool, that in a lot of ways defines the Premier League, defines Premier League rivalry that is massive with regards to commercialism, advertising across the world. That is uh, a staple football club. I'd like to believe they would protect that from being used by someone for. You know, proxy purposes. I'd like to believe they'd make sure there's responsible ownership in there. Um, do you have confidence that football governance will do its job? Oh no, not at all. No, yeah. I, I remember back to your. Um, What's been two thousand seven or two thousand eight? Probably two thousand eight, when um, when the Glazers, you know, thing was in full flow and Gillette and Hicks at Liverpool, 
And uh, we had a, a lunch with Richard Scudamore, you know, um, chief executive of the Premier League. And we were saying, you know, you know, it's it's too late already, but there needs to be something like, um, I mean, the way I described the list of building status, you know, when you buy a yeah. list of building over here, you've got to keep the, you know, you've got to keep the materially the same. You can't rip it all out and go to, I said, you know, there needs to be something like that. And Scudamore said, the market will sort it out. Mm. Whenever anyone says the market will sort it out, you know you're in trouble. Right. I think I think there's more will now to do it than there ever was. But the Premier League are just in a in a, a sort of a, it, it feels like a state of fear and confusion. You know, the, the 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 main objection to the Newcastle takeover is that it would upset one of the sponsors, being Sport, who. Um, who were barred and blocked and pirated by the Saudi authorities, mm-hmm. and and that was the main objection to it. Once that went away, they the, the, the didn't care as much. Mm-hmm. Um, Television part, rights were more important than human rights. Yeah, <laughs> well, I also think it's in part it, it's the way the game has grown up. Yeah, of course. American sports, as you know, grown up in a very codified way, mm-hmm. and you know, with with from very early on. The commercial imperative being at the forefront, mm-hmm. whereas you know, so the uh, sports in you know in, in Britain, you know, you know, United starts off as a workers, you know, group playing football in the lunchtime. Liverpool and Everton come out of the same church, mm-hmm. you know, and it's you know you go on and on. Arsenal, you know, the the workers at the um, at, at, you know at, at the, the the Royal Artillery, and so they, they develop that in a more haphazard way, and so I think that. You know, as, as an impact on it, but someone probably twenty years ago, when we could see the way things were going, should have got a grip on this and said, "We need to protect football clubs. We need to treat them and all sporting institutions Agreed. as community assets." And no one did. And as you know, especially at the time, we're talking about the Gillette and Hicks saga and the uh, the, the the Glazers, the the rail. Antipathy towards the Glazers. That was under a Labour government. You'd think a Labour government would have stepped in, but both sides, one's as bad as the other. Oh, I know. Uh, it really is. Uh, 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 when I look at what I uh, go at Liverpool going forward, and I'm looking at potential new owners, there's a lot of big questions that need to be asked about what the future is going to look like um, and whether without someone like a Gulf state, can Liverpool be successful? Because football is already developing a competitive balance problem. We see what's happening in Germany. We see what's happening in other leagues. And I think that will be used as an excuse to um, to, to justify the Super League. And I also understand, as United and Liverpool fans, other fans will listen to this and go boo-hoo. You know, so you're not the big dogs anymore, so you don't have the most money anymore. But I think Liverpool United generated that money through you know legitimate sport and merit. Where they accomplished that, I mean, you know, the, 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 through being successful and, and having a level playing field, but we don't have a level playing field anymore, Tony. And so when I'm looking at who wants to buy football clubs, even if you're a Jim Ratcliffe type guy, where you're a billionaire, where you've got five, six, seven billion, is that even enough anymore? No, not at all. I mean, to 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 do what City have done, you have to be. You know, you almost have to have unlimited wealth. You know, we we keep you know reading about um, you know Elon Musk, richest man in the world. Well, only if you don't take into account the wider implications of you know the the resources that the Saudi royal family mm-hmm. have available to them 
you know, Elon Musk is probably nowhere near the richest man in the world compared to them. It's one of those situations where, and so you need to have almost un, untapped wealth to compete with City, unless someone puts a lid on it very, very quickly. And again, one of the issues of it is because the United States is the United States, so you can you can operate under. You know, we all know that the NFL and the well, all sports. Um, make use of the implied antitrust exemptions okay. to operate as cartels, and you know that's fine. You can't do that across Europe wide. There's too many conflicting laws, you know, uh, and 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 you know, and and um, you know, sort of areas, countries, nations with their own set of rules. So you can't do that. So getting a getting a grip on it seems to me to be almost impossible, and it's. It, City have proved, Abu Dhabi have proved how effective the whole sports washing thing has been. And you know, you look just today I saw that uh, Newcastle have been, you know, their shared sponsors. I think it's going to be a uh, the Saudi Airlines. Mm. I wonder how that one. I wonder how they got that one. You know, all the success over the years. You know, attracted uh, big business. Yeah. <laughs> These are really going to sell us. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they changed their way, shirt the green and white. This is why I really feel football governance is so important. It's not like this came as a shock. I mean, if you remember when Hull were taken over or when uh, Cardiff were taken over as well and Hull, the owners wanted to change the colours of their shirts. That shouldn't be allowed. These things matter to fans. All of a sudden, we're going to go from blue to red because, you know, it's better feng shui. I don't know, whatever it is. Right? And you're going... This is where culture and tradition to fans get eroded. And I understand, but today's kits, every club's wearing colours that really have no relevance to them. I, 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 but I think this is where football governance really does such a terrible job. Yeah. And 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 I, I want to ask you because this comes up quite a bit, and social media is you know, notorious for this. The water battery, right? And so we're casting stones at these regimes that deserve to be. And then you'll have people say, well, yeah, what about America? You know, there are social issues. And if there's an equivalency between um, a society that I think pub Freedom Public House, the, the, the U.S. is rated, I, think was, I mean, I think it's about 50 or 60. It's not that. It, I mean, there's definitely social issues that exist there. There's no question. And there's definitely international issues that exist. And fine if you want to attack moral consistency, in my opinion, but that doesn't exculpate Qatar or any of these nations from what they've done and we know for corruption is rife in football but are we hypocritical Tony in some ways no I think it's 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 really clear you know if the American government owns a club then um then if I I would be advocating for women who supported that club to um you know to, to certainly well no let's actually not 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 the government because it's it's a bit too complex Let's say Abu Dhabi is a good example, part of the UAE. And if one of the American states owns a club, they, they decide to use their sovereign wealth fund to buy Liverpool, and they were a state that wanted to overturn Roe versus Wade, then I would be advocating for every Liverpool fan not right. to go, certainly mm -hmm. for every woman not to go. Um, you know, when, when the Saudi government, when governments own a club, then the policy of that nation is defined by the government. That's right. Family sports group, you mightn't like them. You know, they're, they're American venture capitalists. They've, um, 
they've had their ups and downs in sports. You know, ask anyone in Orlando about it. But they are not making government policy. They are not, you know, they 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 are not wanting to dictate how people should live their lives, use their bodies, and they're certainly not, you know, sort of putting restrictions and making a criminal for people to practice the sexuality so it's very very different you mightn't like them but you know that it's a business you know the one thing i do find difficult to deal with is why the moral imperative is placed on football clubs and football fans and football players to make stands when governments deal with nations like saudi mm-hmm. arabia you know why should Newcastle fans feel, uh, or, or why should Eddie Howe feel a particular sense of guilt when he's employed by Newcastle United, when we've got the government dealing arms to Saudi Arabia to be used in Yemen? So I do find that difficult. But you know what? There's a point with what about of you, and we hear it all the time. And it's like it's become the main characteristic of being a football fan these days. Sometimes you just got to say, yes, that's completely wrong. And not go, yeah, but what about you doing this? Mm-hmm. And you know what? What is completely wrong is that a nation state with almost limited wealth takes over football clubs, changes the nature of their culture, their the direction, and uses that money to project their to, to project their own needs and purposes. Someone said to me yesterday, I was talking about doing we were talking about Liverpool around the world and you know, sort of involved in, you know, sort of like the fan culture. And so he said to me, one of the things I find hardest is to go and say nice things about, I don't know, um, say Bahrain. Say it was Bahrain. About Bahrain. He said, I'm really comfortable saying great things about Liverpool. Come to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Come and enjoy Liverpool. See it. See, I'm getting paid nothing by the city. You know, it's like, you know, I'm a big advocate of the city. I could never be an advocate of a a nation elsewhere it'd just be too much for me i couldn't do it and yet city and newcastle are used to and yeah newcastle as you say more obvious because of the, the change of the shares to saudi colors they are being used as the flagship of, of of saudi arabia rather than the flag bearer for the community around tyneside and Tony, I have the utmost empathy. Newcastle fans have been long-suffering fans. All of a sudden, these owners come in, buying all these players. They're successful. They're doing things that you and I have got to experience year after year. I own, And I'm not saying for one minute that most United fans wouldn't react in exactly the same way if they were bought. I mean, let's be honest. Um, most human beings are pretty selfish. You know, so mm. most human will be able to my entertainment. You know, it's not my family. It's not my you know, family being thrown off a bridge or being put there a wood chipper. You know, it's no one I know or love. So I'm okay with it. And we're all selfish to some degree in that sense. But this brings me back to my next question. Because I've thought about this more and more myself with, with uh, the, the state of current football. What is my breaking point? What is the point where I say... I'm going to go do something else with my life. I've often said, and I don't know if I would actually do this, I'd like to believe that I would. There, there was actually a point over the summer when Manchester United wanted to say Marko Inertovic, and maybe for about 48 hours, I felt complete disillusionment and just a sense of, I want to do something else with my life. I, I cannot bring myself to cheer a known racist, sexist piece mm. of shit. And... If United are not going to be led by values so that this thing would never happen in the first place, 
well, maybe I, I, I don't want to lend my time to this anymore. I might have recovered at some point, but if they were bought by despot owners, I'd find that hard. Is there a walk-away point for you if Liverpool were bought by some despot like a Thax in Shinawatra or someone of that oak? Or uh, is that is there something where you would say, you know what, I, I'm not, I, that's too much for me? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've already gone beyond that. I mean, that's a very, very big sort of existential crisis when Fenway sacked Dalgleish and mm. just cut ties with them. I mean, you know, it's like these, these are people who took over the club, didn't recognise the history of the club, didn't mm. recognise his importance. And, you know, as it happened, I was able to speak to John Henry not long afterwards and said to him, do you understand what he means? Do you understand, you know, go and look at what he did around Hillsborough, not just the football. It's a bigger resonance. And, you know, and Henry spoke to not just me, obviously, other people, and brought him back in. But that I was very, very close. Because for me, what, what I care about is, I mean, we, we're lucky we support football clubs that have won. Mm -hmm. But it kind of, I would have gone the match anyway. If I would have been an Evertonian, I would have done the same thing. I probably, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have gone to Europe as much. I would have done a bit. But, you know, I, you know, I would have done the same thing. I would have gone the match with my mates. In fact, I did go to Everton quite a bit. I would have gone the match with my mates and I would have had fun. And that would have been my club, win or lose. You're lucky, you get a bit of um, success or, or a lot of success in some teams' cases, which, you know, obviously Liverpool and United. But that wasn't the primary reason I went where it was was, you know, particularly in the 80s, when Liverpool was culturally, politically and economically under pressure. Liverpool Football Club were winning. It was a point of pride. And when when all those things are taken away, when they're stripped away, it's just, you know, and obviously I watch a lot of football sober these days because it's me where. And watching football sober, you realise it's not quite as much, it's, it's better than real work. It was not as much fun as going to match with your mates when you're having a good time and you're howling at the moon. And there are long periods where it's actually dull, you know, when nothing really happens. You know, you, you, you sort of, you know, I keep hearing of the youngsters who, you know, want sort of the, the fast clips and you see YouTube stuff, you know, and like it makes everyone look brilliant. But, you know, there are periods when it's dull. You know, when the keeper gets older, falls on the ball, lies there for like, you know, best part of a minute, yeah. and gets up as if he's been shot and finally gets rid of the, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of them. That's not what football's about. In the end, the winning and losing, is like sort of spice on the experience. So that adds a little bit more. What the experience for me is all about was going with me mates. Mm -hmm. And when the, the stadiums got all seated and we all got split up all over the place, it became a much less pleasurable experience than when, a, you know, when anywhere between 10 and 40 of us could gather around one spot in the cop. So, I, I mean, I think for the older generation, the breaking point is much, much nearer. And yeah. I think a takeover now by a despot regime, or anywhere close to a despot, it'll leave me. I'd still be, I'd still identify myself as a Liverpool fan, but the Liverpool I believe in would be something that's gone. Something yeah. that was, was great, which was powerful and beautiful, and it's disappeared. But actually, it wasn't beautiful. Sometimes it was really, really ugly. But that's not, yeah, that's not the point. It's something that belonged to the past and where it is was part of my identity. And I wonder, yes. going forward, whether people will have the clubs so much a part of their identity if part of their identity means co-opting a Arab nation state. I, I think you, you, you said it right earlier where you said it's about so much more than just a match. It's about, so it's about 
all these other aspects. And I think that people who aren't familiar with the culture, this is a mistake that they make, that they don't understand that this is so mm. much more than just going to the match. This is about friendships, it's about camaraderie, it's about memories, and there's even beauty in the worst parts of it. Um, uh, but uh, I agree that the culture, I mean, if you go back even to the 60s, Tony, you're seeing Liverpool fans singing the Beatles on the cup. You know, these are cultural, iconic moments where mm. songs, fans represented the, the social culture of the time. And um, mm. I think it was, if you go back to, I, I can think of many memories of games, you know, even old clips where the crowd were, you know, it, 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 like they were sensing in the Beatles, there was different things going on that um, was reflective of the culture of the time. And I think it was a great time to be a football fan. Uh, and then, of course, we had the hooliganism in the 70s and the 80s. And then, obviously, football and theory revitalization in the 90s. But I think if you sanitize that experience to make it solely about going to the mega store, um, pricing local fans out, removing culture and making it a really uh, almost a, a, an automaticity um, rather than an experience, I think uh, football really does lose its soul. And for me, bit by bit it's being stripped away you know from what it was from what I fell in love with and what my kid will never get to experience and uh, it, it, it's starting to resemble something I probably wouldn't fall in love with if I was a young teenager again but, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. the only thing to say about that is you know for each generation it will develop and yeah. become a different experience so they'll see it in a different way to us Correct. and hopefully they'll love it in their own way as much Um I think we've seen the best of it, but good luck to the ones coming through. Yeah, especially with Twitter and all that today, Tony, because it totally changes what it means to be a football fan. Um, lastly, thank you so much for doing this, mate. Much appreciated. Uh, Liverpool have started to stabilise their form a little bit. Uh, are you confident that they've seen the worst of their season? Not really, not really. I think um, you know the, the two good results they've had recently, uh, Tottenham and. Well, in fact, three good results, Tottenham, um, Southampton and Napoli. Uh, all of those games could have gone either way. Uh, however, when they come back after the World Cup, they will have uh, a lot of players back from injury. Some of the players, I think, psychologically were thinking about the World Cup. And mm. I don't believe any of them were, were, were going as half power deliberately. But let's just say I'd expect Virgil van Dijk to be more dominant when he comes mm. back. You know, it's a, and we don't know the effect of the injuries. Again, one of the things I'd say is we this this year is a weird year. So again, City might win the league; it's possible, and and everyone will go, "Oh well, see, they're not that dominant." But you can't you can't take these like really weird years as a um, as an indicator of the way things are going. This World Cup year and the the, the, the half season, the, you know, and all that. Um, when we get back to the regular rhythm of things, then we'll see the pattern. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people have realised how remarkable Liverpool winning the league um, when they did, you know, and broke that City run of five in a row was. I mean, it was a, 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 a humongous achievement. I think we'll look back and give it more credit than we do now. And whatever happens this season, trust me, City are a steamroller. They're coming for the game. And you know what? If, if, if you lie down, they'll flatten you. Yeah, 
Uh, I agree with you. I completely agree with you, mate. Tony, as always, absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, wish you all the best, mate, and uh, I'd love to get you back again soon. Brilliant, brilliant. Cheers, pal. See Cheers. you, Tony. Thanks, mate.